Welcome with me, Matt Chandler. Hey, how are we? We all right? Okay. Um, if you have your Bible, it's going to be sound crazy. We're going to go to Luke 15. And, and so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and um, head there. When, when I got the email that what we were going to be doing here at Legacy is taking Luke 15 and coming at it from different uh, vantage points, I got really excited, man, because this chapter is scandalous. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those chapters that gets Jesus killed. So, so I don't know about you, I don't know your background, I don't know your story, but that was the part that never made sense to me about Jesus. So you got Jesus just healing people's diseases, raising people from the dead, and, and they killed him for that? You don't kill a dude that can cure all your diseases. If, if there's one dude you want to keep alive, it's that guy. And so for the longest time, I, I was really confused about, okay, so why are they killing Jesus? Luke 15 is one of those reasons, all right, because what he's about to do in this text is he is about to completely deconstruct this world as they knew it and reconstruct the world as he created it. And, and when that happens, when that happens, people get confused and they get angry and power they thought they had, they realize they don't have in ways that they have made themselves feel important are taken from them. And when you take from people their right to be their own God or their perceived right to be their own God, they tend to get aggressive. And, and so what's about to happen is Jesus is going to, and this is going to be a lesson for some of you, quickly, Jesus doesn't just deconstruct, but he reconstructs. Now let me tell you why that's important, because we're young. And so let me tell you what young people know. Young people can spot the problems with stuff, all right? But they kind of stink at figuring out what to do about it. So they're really good at pointing out the errors of the generation behind them, or in front of them, or behind them, but they don't really know how to build anything to replace it. But hear me, if you tear everything down and don't build anything in its place, everybody ends up homeless. All right? Now, this text is, it's almost unbelievable. And like every speaker has noted up until this point, the whole key to the text is in verses one and two. So let's go there first. We gotta do some work in one and two. If we don't do work in one and two, you will not understand correctly this parable that, it, I mean, just so truly noted this morning is actually one parable. It's just kind of like, um, uh, I don't know if this will translate, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, all right? It just kind of switches all of a sudden, you don't really know what happened. There's no explanation of it. It just kind of was one story and all of a sudden it's another story. And, and, but it's all one movie, right? And, and that's kind of what happens in this text. You've got three separate stories that's really one movie, if you will. Okay, but the key to all of it, the key for you getting this and understanding this is to feel the full weight of verses one and two. So I'm gonna do some work there. And then I got, if this is not a teed up sermon for me, I, I don't know what is. I get to talk about grace through the eyes of the Father. Are you kidding me? Like if you can't do that, you're in the wrong game. And, and so I don't even need this text. I mean, I can just talk about that until my voice ran out. And, and so I, I want to show you why this gets scandalous. Let's look in 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So uh, Jesus is preaching. That's what he's doing. He's proclaiming that the gospel of the kingdom is at hand, that the kingdom of God has uh, arrived. And, and as he does that, tax collectors and sinners um, have showed up to listen to him. And, and listen, for the most part, if we're straight, that doesn't move anybody in here. All right, and I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons. Uh, because I don't think historically we understand what's happening here. 
All right, so for us, if you grew up in church, I don't know if that's you at all, all right, but if you grew up in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And he climbed up into a sycamore tree for what reason? The Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus comes up to the tree and says what? Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today, right? So, so when we think tax collector, here's what we think. Now, let's be straight. When we talk about tax collectors, what we think is there's some dude that's supposed to take 20 bucks, but he takes 10. Or he takes 30. And he pockets that 10. Isn't that what we've been taught? So a tax collector is someone who takes more than they should. They rob from you. And, and that's why they're despised. And at some level that's true, but that's not the weight of a tax collector. At this point in history, by the way, for all, I'm just going to spit on you all night. It was your own fault. They should have marked that off. It's just happening. Nothing I can do about it. So apologize, especially you right there. That's, you're just straight on wet zone. Um, in the end... Um, it, historically, Rome, at this period of time, rules the world, all right? They rule the world, now follow me, from England to India, all right? So, right? From, from England to India, they rule the known world. Now, that's not a, that type of land mass is not a problem in the year of our Lord 2012, uh, I am in the state of Texas. It's a weird state. Oh, straight, I love it. Random. I love that right there. Just after everybody scream. <laughs> so here's what's crazy about it. Texas has a kind of a weird pride to it. And, and, then there's a, and then there's a group in Texas that thinks we should probably be our own country. And, and they had out in the woods and they train and they, you know, and, and here's what would happen. If they tried, and they might one day, is that going to be a big problem for Washington, D.C.? Are they going to be like, all right, let's start marching troops down there. In six months, we'll get there and we'll handle this. No. Be some dude like, okay. All right, it'd be over. Got a couple of helicopters there in like two hours, done. Bunch of dudes with Winchesters all dead on the road, right? And, and so in our day and age, it's not a problem to govern and rule that type of landmass. But in the first century, it's impossible. A rebellion could start in one part of the empire, and it could take you a year to get there. So how do you, how do you govern from England to India without helicopters, planes, and missiles? You do it with a massive, massive, massive army. And how do you pay for a massive, massive, massive army? How do you get them weapons? How do you get them food? How do you train them? How do you do it? Taxes. Uh, okay, so uh, I don't know what you know about history and what you don't know. Rome not only rules the world, but they are a brutal people. A brutal, there are historical records. I'm, I'm outside the sacred text. There are historical records of Rome sacking a city and then killing 20,000 men, women, and children and crucifying them alongside of the road leading into the city so that as the pagans, all right, that's um, pagan in the text. It's really outside the city, a dweller outside. Think our, our word redneck, all right? That's what pagan is in the text. It's not, not Christian as much as it's outside the city dwellings, all right? And so as the pagans came in to get supplies, they would have to drive past, they'd pull their carts past, walk past, Thousands and thousands of men, women, and children hanging on stakes that Rome had crucified. Brutal regime that is raping, stealing, murdering, and pillaging the ancient world. And guess what? 
your next door neighbor just purchased the right from Rome to take money from you to fund the oppressing army that has taken siege in your city. Now, do you get it now? Because for the longest time, I was like, why is everybody so upset that Jesus is hanging with the tax collectors? This is 10 bucks, man, get over it. Right, but like there is no, look at me, there is no, that I know of in our day and age, in our country, in the West, there is no moral equivalent to that. This would be us being overthrown by some other superpower that is horrific. They're raping our wives, raping our daughters, killing our sons, stealing our stuff. No law to keep them in check. No court to bring to. Nothing to do about it. And someone we know, someone in our town, someone in our city, someone on our block is taking our money to pay this army to stay in our city and to rape our wives and to kill our sons and to rape our daughters. So do you see why the tax collectors are such a problem? See why when Jesus heads over to the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you come down, that the whole city was in an uproar? When Jesus goes and eats dinner at this man's house? Like, I don't like these people. I'm just reading about them historically. They're not even real, for, I mean, they're historic. They're not like in my neighborhood. And I just wanna hit one of them. Like, what are you thinking, All right? But they're not the only people at this sermon. It's the, can we turn out the lights? I literally am watching people's retina burn out. Thank you. And so I just saw like Indiana Jones face melt, all right? Now, um, in, in the end, you not only have tax collectors, but you have sinners. Now again, this is kind of lost on us because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, right? We, that's kind of how we view it. Um, but in the first century, sinner was a class of people. It was marked by those who were deformed, those who were diseased, those who had um, professions that were of ill repute, so prostitutes. In fact, if you'll really think, if you know your Bible well, you'll think often Jesus is asked about this. Remember the crippled man? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? So why is he a sinner? Because he's crippled. He was born a cripple, so he's a sinner. So, I mean, this is a nasty crowd. I mean, you got tax collectors, you got deformed people, you got people with leprosy, you got a bunch of hookers. I mean, this is church. Uh, all right, and, and Jesus preached, and here's what I don't want you to miss. Where the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, the most outcast of any culture will be drawn to the light of grace. All right, so you've got, you've got tax collectors and you've got sinners, but they're not the only ones in the crowd. Look at this. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So the Pharisees and scribes are also there. So let me, I want to, I just, I love you enough to be straight with you. The Pharisees and scribes are better than you are. Just want to say it. They know more Bible than you know right now. I'm just be straight with you. They pray more than you pray right now. All right, you want to get into a little um, external self-righteousness test. You are a junior varsity, never going to touch the field. Just, I'm trying to be straight with you. To, to be a Pharisee, you're going to have the Torah, follow me, memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So it's time for confession and honesty if we're going to be friends. How many of you have actually made it through the book of Numbers? All right, so there's some of us. All right, that's, that's a win, man. Praise God. All right, because most people start that, that Bible reading plan and, and about halfway through Numbers, like, forget it, First John. All right? But, 
But the Pharisees, they have it memorized. The, the scribes have it memorized, and they are strict. Like, you think you're strict, they're strict. Like, on Sabbath, they're only taking so many steps. The law didn't even ask for that. They just said, this is how serious we are about it. Oh, don't work on the Sabbath? Well, you know, if you go for too long of a walk, that's work, so I'm not walking on the Sabbath. Like, crazy people. So, so I want you to hear, so no matter how awesome you are, right, maybe you get up every morning at five o'clock and read the word, Maybe every t-shirt you have has Jesus' name on it. <laughs> Maybe you have the, the ichthyus on your car. Maybe you just got it on your bike right now, all right? Maybe you, you got the little fish on there. You got the real men love Jesus on your, you know. I, I, maybe you're all of that. Still, compared to these men, they'd be like, that's it? Five? Five in the morning? Well, I hadn't slept in a week. I mean, that's what you're talking about. So that's who's in the crowd. So as we read this story and watch Jesus deconstruct what's happening, you got to keep in mind who's listening to this parable. You've got prostitutes, you've got tax collectors, and culturally they have been shunned. You remember the woman at the well who comes out to the well at noon? You don't go to the well at noon. How many of you have been to Africa? Anybody been on mission trips? You're not seeing anybody carrying water at noon. They're carrying water early in the morning. They go to the well early in the morning to this day. You don't carry water at noon. This woman goes out at, at noon, hottest part of the day. Why? Well, because she had several husbands, and the man she was living with at that point was not one of them. She's an outcast. They have no place in the synagogue. They have literally been communicated to them that it's over for them. There's no entryway back in. It is you are unclean, you are out. And that belief is perpetuated by the Pharisees and scribes because of their cleanliness. So here's the thing you always have to watch on external self-righteousness. If you're comparing your righteousness by finding someone else who isn't as good as you and measuring how well you're doing based off of how well they're doing, I mean, you're already in a scary rebellion against the God of the universe because what he's holding you to is not your idiot friend's holiness, but his holiness. And, and let me tell you something. You understand God's godness? You understand God's holiness? No man's walking with that sw swagger in front of God's holiness. Right? So let's just talk. Isaiah's probably a bit more holy than you. Huh? Anybody want to argue that you think maybe that you, you're a little bit straighter than Isaiah? And he sees God on his throne and does what? Some man? No. He falls on the down, starts pronouncing on the ground, starts pronouncing woes on himself. Man, you you're looking at God's holiness? There, there's nobody walking with a swagger. I can tell you that. Now, with that said, with that picture painted, let's jump into this. Let's start in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent 
everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now, rewind, we're in the crowd. All right, now how do you think at this point the tax collectors and sinners are hearing this story? Like, you, you think they can relate? You, you think they, they're going, I get this. I, I, am, I am in that spot. I am eating pods. I am cut off. And what do you think the scribes and Pharisees are doing? Get them. Get them, Jesus. Like, you want to you watch your heart? Watch what happens when people start preaching truth and you start thinking about other people. Just saying, little indicator. You, you listening? You, yeah, you listening. Right? Just watch your heart. Watch how often that happens. You have self-righteousness creeping in. Now watch how, how often you start thinking of somebody, how you wish somebody else would hear this. You wish your friend or your girl or your boy or your man or your what, what, like you start thinking that way, man. You're not letting the weight of the word bear its full girth on you. And, and you have in this text this really kind of spectacular picture of a first part of God's grace that we don't think of. God will often, in his grace, let you exhaust yourself. So Romans 1 um, talks about, you know, kind of the wrath of God and how it's revealed. And one of the ways God's wrath is revealed in Romans 1 is turning you over to do what you ought not do. But what we find in Romans 8 is that God has subjected the earth to futility in hope. So, so what we find, one of the graces of the father, because he doesn't have to give the younger son this. He doesn't have to say yes to this request. Like, like the son doesn't control the father. Father controls the son. So the son could say, give me my money, give me my share. And the father could go, no, go to your room. So I'll, I'll beat you to death. I'll hurt you right here. He doesn't have to give him his inheritance. But in his grace, he lets him tire himself out. See, there are some people that are just so smart, just so smart that God in his grace will go, uh, okay, you think that's better than me? Run. But now Romans 8, in hope, subjected it to futility. But when you find out that that girl will not satisfy you, when you find out that that man does not complete you, when, when you wake up and you are on the treadmill. Here's what I mean by the treadmill. The lie that most people buy into is that what you need to be happy is more of what you actually already have. And, and so God in his grace, the Father in his grace says, here you go, run. And he lets him tire himself out. Now watch this, you're gonna have revelation occur, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, several things here that, that we need to, to talk about. First, I, I don't know your background. I got converted a little bit later. There, there was multiple periods in growing up where I was out doing things I should not do and I found out that my folks knew that I was full on busted. There wasn't any way around it. I'm going to come home and folks are waiting up. And you know what I did? That, practice my speech. Well, see, what had happened was I, I, I didn't want to go. No, I was like, let's go see that Disney movie. And then somehow 
We ended up at Steve's party. I did not, no, I have not been drinking. Well, I did, I had a soda. Right? And so he, he's practicing his speech here. I'm going to go home. Here's what I'm going to tell dad. I know he's going to be angry. And so I'm just going to tell. So again, back to the crowd. If you are a tax collector and sinner, you're starting to go, okay, what's penance look like? What, what does it look like to pay back? Am I now a slave? Am, am I now a servant? Am I now? See, see what's happening? And then what do you think the Pharisees want? The Pharisees go, okay, if we're going to do this, it better be strict. It better be harsh. They better be punished adequately. And so now you've got people who understand they're tax collectors and sinners. They've drawn near. They're hearing this story. And now you've got this son practicing his speech. I want to be back in. I can't be your son anymore, but at least let me be one of your hired servants. At least just let me sleep out with the servants. Let me let you punish me however you want to punish me. I know I can't be your son anymore. And so you, you think the, the prostitute's going, okay, what's this going to cost? What's this going to cost for me to be reconciled to God? I guarantee you right now, the Pharisees and scribes are excited about this story. Probably not because the first two kind of hints at where it's going. But right now, they, they want, let's levy it on them. Let's put it on them. I mean, what are you, you going to make them do, Jesus? This list better be long, brother. This sermon better go. But I have a whole hour of what they owe you now because of what they've done. And, and then the next part of the story is where this thing gets out of control. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to his father, watch this, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Now that's scandalous. That's, you didn't eat dinner and you get dessert. I mean, that's insane. Give me my money, takes the father's money, squanders the father's money, belittles the father's name, mocks the father's name, comes to his senses in a pigsty and is slinking back home to try to become a slave. And do you notice that the father is so compassionate and gracious that he doesn't even acknowledge the speech? See, he didn't even try to correct him. Didn't do anything. Just let me be one of your hired servants. I'm not having it. Robe, ring, steak, <laughs> music, right? I mean, that's the scandal of grace. He does not allow restitution. He's got it. The father takes the weight of the offense on himself. He handles the offense. He does not allow the younger son to carry the offense. I've got this. You are my son. Here's the ring. That's my authority. Here is my clean robe. That's my cleanliness. And we're going to celebrate Oh, God, that we could understand God's delight in saving. So I, I just finished preaching through the book of Galatians at the village, and man, that book just wrecked my heart. 
like the apostle Paul on Saul, before he's Paul, is on the road to Damascus to imprison, to murder, and to wreak havoc on the bride of Christ. And in Galatians, Paul says it pleased God to reveal Jesus Christ to him. That God got excited about saving Saul. Like that's emotion, that's emotive, that God delights in saving his children, even a fool like this. And, and man, grace runs deep. Like, like listen, let's read about this party. I mean, this thing is epic. Let's go, and they begin to celebrate. Because there's parties and then there's parties. Can, can we be honest? There's parties and then there's parties. And this thing is it's blowing up. Look at this, 25. And his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard what? Two things. What do you hear? Yeah, music and what? So he hears. Now this thing's going out of control. Uh, he's coming in from the field. He's still a far way off. He hears some music. He's like, what the? And then he hears dancing. And it's confused. Is it Christmas? What, what's happening? The father celebrates the salvation of his sons and daughters. Like if you really, you really pay attention to your Bible, God's grace towards mankind, I mean, it'll, it'll so work you over. Have you ever thought about that God called David a man after his own heart? I mean, it's not Chad Ochocinco. David didn't call himself that. David go, I'm going to give myself a nickname. What's it going to be, David? Man after God's own heart. It's not what happened. God called him that. God said, this is a man after my own heart. Now let's watch this. David slept with another man's wife and then had that man killed. Now that outsends you, doesn't it? Now you might have some issues, but David just won. Huh? Well, I've committed adultery. Did you have the other dude killed? Then David would shake you off. Maybe like, Pfft. take that weak stuff, murder somebody, and come back and see me. All right. Now, so let's let's follow this. Let's follow this scandalous grace of the father. David, a murderer and an adulterer, is called by God a man after God's own heart. What we read about in Romans 5 is that the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ has come as a propitiation for sins of the past, which means God is calling David a man after my own heart despite his sins because of Jesus because of his grace. So God looks at David, and you want to talk about holiness and blamelessness and spotlessness, watch God delight in a murdering adulterer because of Christ. That's the saving grace of the Father. That's what just happened in this story, and that's what happened to you and me. That's what happened to you and me. And then watch what happens, because the, the older brother, so, so good this morning, um, so, so true about the older brother, um, like this is, watch 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Just, just a real quick one-off about the older brother. That's not my topic, God the Father is. But here's the thing about self-righteousness. If your preference is to talk about the things of God, specifically other men and women of God, with other people rather than God, chances are you're an older brother. If you like to talk to the servants but don't like to talk, like if, you're, if your thing is to sit around and criticize and critique other men of God and not pray for them and seek them out, listen, I, I know it's a train wreck out there, right? Like I get, I mean, they're just some wolves dressed like sheep spitting out foolishness. But, 
But if your play is to sit around and, and, and badmouth them rather than go to the Father and pray for them, so that's the older brother stuff, man. Older brother loves to talk to servants, but he doesn't like to talk to daddy. Let's keep going. And when he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. So that, I love that kind of sentence. Here's why. Like, how is that hurting the, the father and the brother? It's a big party in there. Are you serious? Well, I'm not partying. I'm just going to sit outside. That's your play? Really? And then, and then watch this. But he was angry and refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him, pled with him, begged him. So here's, he, we, it was hinted at this morning. I'm going to just say it more aggressively. In, in a setting like this, let, let me tell you what I've learned. Everybody loves extending grace to the younger brother. The stripper, the hooker, the drug addict, the gangbanger, the, like we love that. And then what we end up doing is then judging, all right, the, the self-righteous. We begin judging the affluent. We begin judging those who don't have their hands as dirty as we have our hands, but that was not the father's play. The father didn't go, well, stay out there and pout then. He went out and entreated. He pled with him. You know, this, this idea of entreat is trying to explain. Get in here. What are you doing? But watch this. Watch what happens. I mean, this is madness. This is what happens. Again, such a good talk this morning. This is what happens when your heart becomes callous towards God, all right? But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What an awful request, so in the other room, you got filet, you've got a band, you got um, dad's best coat, you've got the ring of authority, and our boy wants a goat? Like, I'd have been confused if I was, I was like, goat, did you say boat? Yeah, because I can understand if you want like a yacht, but are you really saying you want a little goat, a little kip? Or is that what you want? But that's what happens to the self-righteous. That's what happens to those who don't understand grace. They will create another win, another victory, and it will not look like the victory that's going on in the house. They will redefine the touchdown. They will redefine the scorecard, and it will not be God's scorecard. It will be their scorecard, and here's the irony of it. It will almost always be built around their strengths. And, and let's watch again the father's grace towards even the older brother. But when this son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. The scandalous grace of the Father is that whether it's legalism or license, he invites us into the party. If you're the tax collector or the sinner or you are the self-righteous, I'll do it myself. See, here's the funny thing about rebellion. Rebellion takes all sorts of different shapes. Some people rebel against God with heroin. Some people rebel against God with Sunday school. Just being straight. 
Like some people go, I don't need you, God. I can figure out my own way. I'll make my own path. I know about sex more than you know about sex. I know about partying more than you know about partying. I know what's going to make me happy. Now, despite the fact that all you've got is historical evidence that that's not true, you'll continue to buy on that lie and go, I don't need you. I can make my own way. But the self-righteous brother will say, I don't need you. I can make my own way. Uh, I'll go to this church, I'll listen to this music, I'll do these things, and they create a list where ultimately they end up knowing a lot about God, but they don't know him, and that's dumb. I don't understand why you would want to read a gossip magazine rather than actually know the people in the magazine, but that's what happens with the Bible so often. Way too many fools I know can talk about God, but talk about God in such a way that reveals they don't know him. I start wielding theology like a club. So self-confident that they can't extend the compassion and grace. Listen, if God's solidifying what you understand about the word of God and about doctrine, that's a gift of grace. So extend that to others who have not been given the gift at this point that you have. That'd be you boasting in you. That's a bad thing, straight. It's a bad thing if you start beating your chest. Well, you know, I'm reformed and I'd go to the theory. Like that, that does not draw people to the patience and mercy of God. Love covers a multitude of sins. So Luke 15 is one of those places where he says to the tax collectors and sinners, you haven't gone too far. You, you haven't, you're not beyond my saving reach. There is no sin with more power than what I'm about to do on the cross. But, but he also says to the self-righteous, he entreats them. Because the rest of the, this parable, the first part of this parable, is a beatdown for the Pharisees and, and scribes. I mean, he's celebrating over the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and, and, and saying he's not celebrating for the ones who weren't lost and, and were always known. And then he turns on the end and he starts to entreat them to come into this. Don't do this. Don't sit outside and shake your fist at my grace towards the sinner. You're a sinner also. All that I have is yours. Get in here. Join me in what I'm doing. So, so my hope for you in our time together is that you might fully understand the glorious, matchless grace of our God that regardless of how you've come into this room, tonight is available to you in Jesus Christ. And you're gonna go out tomorrow and we're gonna engage people and we are heralds of this news. Heralds of this news. But the power of of God in Christ is the offer of forgiveness for all who would repent and put their faith in him. It's what saved you. It's what saved me. And the more you understand this, the more you'll run to God rather than away from God. The more you run to God, the more you'll be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. You want to grow in holiness, fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to grow in holiness. You roll through grace over and over and over again in your head. You get blown away. You get mesmerized by the fact that God delights in you. You get drawn into the fact that the Father is looking on the horizon and with compassion running towards you. Like marvel at that. And if you don't marvel at that, you should be asking the Holy Spirit to do some work at your heart. Because if you believe he loves you like the Bible says he loves you, you'll run to him. You'll run to him, you won't run from him, I promise. It's those who don't understand the gospel that run from God to clean themselves up. It's those who know that this is true that run towards him as fast as they can when they stumble and fall. 
So may you understand the grace of the Father and be moved by it in such a way that you would press into him all the days of your life and that you might be transformed by the love he has made evident for you in the work of the cross. Let's pray.